During a recent trip to Bali, I had the pleasure of catching up and speaking with Tina May, co-founder of the Institute of Code. Tina shared with me her journey from starting a strategic marketing degree in Melbourne to now running coding and social media boot camps in Bali. Like most journeys, it wasn't always smooth sailing, and we discussed the behind the scenes of the entrepreneur's lifestyle, along with benefits of learning to code, problems with traditional education styles, how to create the best learning environment for you, and more. Tina also shares her one piece of advice that will help you be prepared to do your best online. So I'm here today with Tina May, co-founder of the Institute of Code, and we are in beautiful Changu in Bali. Welcome, Tina. Thank you. Excited to be here. Okay. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. I actually had the pleasure of meeting Tina nearly two years ago now. I attended uh, one of your coding boot camps in Changu. Was that one of the early boot camps? I can't remember. So two years ago would have been about 12 months in. So yeah. you, you guys were probably one of the first hundred or so students. Yeah. And it was absolutely fantastic. I won't rave too much about the experience. I've written about it before and can chat about more about it later on because um, we're here today to talk about your journey, not mine. So firstly, are you able to give us a bit of a summary as to how you came to be in Bali here now? Yeah, absolutely. So my journey into entrepreneurship started relatively young. I launched my first business when I was 20 in my second year of university uh, with a friend. I wanted to do marketing consulting for small businesses. So we started our little business. Um, Initially, we wanted to do strategic consulting, but at 20 with no degree and no experience, that's a bit of a tough sell. So we pivoted to seeing what our clients actually needed and then trying to offer those services. So we'd go in and understand um, what was a challenge in their business and then find solutions for it. And surprisingly enough, a lot of our customers needed help with their website or their online presence. Mm. And that led me into the world of web development and digital marketing. And I tried all of the typical things if you google how to build a website from (laughs) Wix and Squarespace and WordPress templates and hiring developers and it was just such a frustrating process I knew that my clients deserved amazing websites and I knew it shouldn't cost an arm and a leg like most agencies but without having the skills myself to build the websites or to know how to code it was just a frustrating experience. So one day I got fed up and I decided that I was just going to learn. I was going to teach myself how to code. I would find a client, promise them a website. They could pay me when it was finished. And I would teach myself HTML and CSS so that I could start building websites for clients. And I actually really loved it. It was a bit of a slow process learning (laughs) online myself, but um, it quickly opened up so many doors for me. I was able to build websites for clients all over Australia. It took me around the world. My partner Emil and I traveled through North, South and Central America bartering uh, for web development. So we would go to um, five-star hotels and boutique resorts and say, hey, in exchange for room and board, I will build you a brand new website, help you attract more customers, and you don't even have to pay me. You can just, you know, put me up. I know you've got space since it's 
quiet season. And so that facilitated our travels around the world. Um, we got to visit 15 countries over oh, nine wow. months. <laughs> and it just really solidified how valuable and important these skills were. Skills that I hadn't even heard of, you know, 12 or 18 months prior were, were taking me around the world. And the idea for Institute of Code actually came in Cuba. We were sitting in this beautiful little cafe working on um, some client projects that we had and the birds were chirping and music was playing and we were eating amazing food and we got to the end of the day and just could not believe how much we had accomplished. It was like three or four days work we'd done in one day and didn't even feel drained from it. Wow. And it sparked a conversation that went on for the next maybe 12 months or so about how productivity and learning and what you could accomplish was not just about how much hard work you put in or how much you hustled through it, but the environment you created for yourself. If you could put yourself in this state of flow of ultimate productivity, you could learn more and you could learn faster and you could accomplish more than you set up to. So fast forward Maybe nine months, I had just been kicked out of the business that I co-founded, which is a whole other story. And a friend asked me where she could go to learn to code. And I thought back to that conversation and I thought, surely there is a program out there that applies everything we know about educational psychology, about human motivation, how people learn, what environments people thrive in. I'll just Google it for her and I'll find it and I'll send it to her. And unsurprisingly, (laughs) I couldn't find anything. And Emilio and I sat down and we tried to reimagine what a school could be if we put every decision around how do people learn best and what environment can we create that they'll learn best. And so we, we built a school, Institute of Code, around that concept. We tried our first session you know, a few months after that. And we were really happy with the results. Our students were really happy with the results. So it's now three years later. (laughs) We've been living in Bali ever since. And how many boot camps have you run since then? We've had roughly 28 cohorts in three and a bit years. Fantastic. And I'm imagining hundreds of students. Yeah, I think it's around 380 students, give or take. So if you can describe some of the aspects that you bring into the boot camp that really enhance learning, I know obviously from my experience, but yeah, share? Absolutely. So we thought about the typical classroom environment and my university experience at least was waking up, sitting in traffic for maybe 45 minutes, Mm. getting to a classroom of 50 to 100 people and and listening to an instructor who um, maybe hadn't worked in the industry for a while. We had a lot of professional academics. Most people were surviving on instant noodles and not enough sleep. (laughs) And unsurprisingly, um, it wasn't a super productive environment. And so for us, we wanted to really reinvent that. So our students wake up in a beautiful pool villa. We want them to have nothing else to worry about for the 10 days that they're learning with us. So they stay 
on campus. Their commute is a one-minute walk from the bedroom to the classroom. We've got daily yoga and meditation because that's proven to really help get you in a productive state of mind and decrease stress, which is really important for learning. We have chef-prepared meals. Nourishing food is really important to helping Mm. you learn. And we just find when you put all of these factors together, you set up an environment where everyone can thrive, not just, you know, 20 or 30% of the students who manage to push through. Yeah, it's actually, it wasn't something I intended to talk about, but it is also resonating with me a lot of the conversations I'm hearing about workplace productivity as well and this shift that we're, some businesses, some organisations are starting to have with not putting the emphasis on being in an environment from nine to five and just trying to get that time out of people but creating an environment and a culture that encourages productivity from a workplace perspective as well as a learning perspective. Absolutely. And our workplaces and our school systems haven't really adapted or changed much in the last 100 years, even though the work that we want people to do has changed so dramatically. If you need someone to stand on a production line and just you know, stamp the same thing a million times. If it's just a brute force kind of job or manual labor, that doesn't require a lot of creativity and productivity. You know, people can just push through and be productive in that kind of environment. But when we want people to do creative work, Mm. when we want people to learn, when we want them to be strategic, that kind of work only happens effectively if we get people in the right mental state. And productivity is just so linked to the environment that we put ourselves in. Well, I can absolutely concur that the experience that I had over those 10 days, that accelerated learning environment was definitely created. And one of the things that you said to us on our first day was to, over the 10 days that were to come, try and identify some of the aspects of the environment that helped us the best that we could then recreate at home because unfortunately living in a luxury villa and having chefs prepare all of our meals is probably not going to be realistic to a lot of us long term unfortunately so it was incredible for that that amount of time um have you had had feedback from other students and graduates about what they've found has worked best for them that they've been able to recreate Yeah, absolutely. It's something we really try and reinforce to our students, as you're saying, that while we have this amazing bubble experience where all of your needs are taken care of, it's hard to replicate all aspects of that in everyday life. A lot of people find that just by paying attention to how they're feeling and what factors impact them, that makes it easier for them to apply some of those things in their everyday life, whether that's getting enough sleep, whether it's their state of mind and stress, um, practices like yoga, food is definitely Mm. a big one for a lot of people. But I think the biggest thing is just recognizing that as an entrepreneur or a business owner or just in your daily job, you are an asset to your business. And if you don't treat yourself as an asset, if you don't look after yourself, if you don't um, almost think of yourself like a a well-oiled machine and give yourself everything you need to thrive, um, then you're kind of doing a disservice to your own productivity. And I think it's that mindset of 
I'm going to pay attention to the things that help me be focused and productive and motivated and inspired and then make it a priority to incorporate Mm. that into my everyday life because it's so easy as an entrepreneur or a business owner to get caught up in this mentality of I'm so busy I don't have time to exercise I don't have time to eat well you know I'm living off coffee and four hours sleep a night but if you're really honest with yourself and you pay attention to your productivity that's something that's very hard to sustain over the long term yes absolutely and I've I'm kind of hoping that as a bit of a culture, we are moving, we're shifting from Mm -hmm. this glorifying the busyness and glorifying the lack of sleep and the all-nighters. I mean, they have to be done occasionally, (laughs) but the the constant grind and hustle, there is an alternative that we can create, like you say, this state of flow that facilitates the productivity and well, for you, uh, this lifestyle where you actually are living in, in villas in Bali now, doing something that you love. Yeah. So you're obviously very passionate about learning to code. You told us a bit of your story. And also, I know from following you online, you're passionate about helping people. Can you expand more on your interest specifically in sharing coding that is now growing into other areas of digital marketing as well? Yeah. I think there's a common misconception that coding skill, programming skills are only for the Zuckerbergs of the world Mm. who want to, you know, be building complex applications and spending years studying and, you know, they're they're like nerdy types, so to speak. But in my opinion, coding is just another literacy. It's an essential literacy for the modern world. Every industry we know is being affected by the digital world. And if you don't understand any of that language you miss out on a lot of opportunities so just like we don't teach children mathematics so they can be a mathematician we teach them math because it's an essential literacy I think coding needs to be approached in the same way and that's something that I hear a lot from people after they've learnt to code is that it's surprising to them how much of an impact it has on their daily life outside of the time that they're actually, you know, using code or building websites in the conversations that they're having, in their understanding of the digital world, in their ability to communicate with developers or technical teams. It's just something that is kind of permeates through digital society. It's so true. And even now with the areas that I work in, um, certain aspects of social media as well we're starting to see I think with some of the complexity the advantage that marketers and people who have an understanding of code actually this edge that it gives them over their peers and counterparts because it can be taken into how you're thinking about tracking a certain feature or function on your website or setting up campaigns or yeah, so many areas actually. Yeah. So. I would say that only about 30 to 50% of our students actually intend to do web development as a career. Most of our students are looking to add uh, basic coding understanding to their existing career. So maybe that's a graphic designer who wants to understand how websites are built so they can incorporate that knowledge into their design stage and and design something that will be easy and effective to build. We see it in um, product managers or um, entrepreneurs, business owners who are going to be managing the development of a tech 
project and want to be able to better scope projects, manage teams, understand requirements. We see it in um, marketers who are maybe working around things like SEO and, and tracking and just having that understanding of how the web works and how websites function just gives you such a leg up um, and it's quite empowering to feel like you kind of see the web in a different way. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and you're actually extending a bit beyond coding, just not just coding, but beyond the coding boot camps now into running social media boot camps and some online training as well. Can you expand on that for us? Yeah. So a big part of what we're passionate about is equipping people with skills that can change their life. So coding is something to teach because I think in 10 days you can learn enough to really make a difference in your life. Um, we added social media to the mix because I think it's also this huge opportunity at the moment, social media and content marketing, um, to either become a thought leader yourself, to build an audience, to to build a personal brand and become a thought leader in your space, or to build a business's brand. And so when we looked at the skills that were required to build a brand online, and then the impact that that could have on your life, it just was an obvious choice. Yeah, wonderful. And the online courses, is that something you can talk about with us? Yeah, absolutely. Now? <laughs> so we have had people asking for us to do an online course pretty much since we launched. <laughs> and it's something I resisted for a long time because I am so passionate about having this immersive learning environment. But I think that there's a lot of factors that prevent people sometimes from being able to take the leap and do an in-person course. Um, and so we looked at what you could accomplish online and whether it would still be valuable to people. And we put together a, a basic version of our course. It actually forms the pre-coursework for students who attend the in-person bootcamp to kind of um, get up on the essentials before they come. It's called Website in a Weekend. So we teach someone with no previous experience how to build a basic HTML, CSS website uh, from scratch. Are there any factors that you have been able to take from your research and experience in the learning psychology and creating that environment into the online space or is that a bit of a challenge to make that connection? I do think teaching online is more challenging than teaching in person just because we have the luxury on retreats to have a one to four mentor ratio. Mm, which is incredible. So, so we often have students sitting down in groups of three or four with an instructor with a decade of experience, you know, who's able to adapt to their unique learning style. But what I would say I have been able to apply more so than the learning environment is just um, the teaching methodology. So understanding how different groups of people learn and then being able to incorporate um, activities and explanations that cater to all of those different learning styles so that the activities and the video tutorials are all done in a way that it's very bite-sized, it's very approachable. People don't tend to feel intimidated, even though coding can be a bit of a scary topic. Uh, so time to take our, our teaching approach and then applied it online. Which is fantastic because like, so you've had, well, 
eight years of experience in web development yourself and now three years in teaching and learning um, those different styles and elements. So, so that's going to be some really fantastic courses, I'm sure. Yeah, I definitely think being able to, because we take absolute beginners on our course. We've had students from 17 to 55 years old from 20 different countries. And that's a pretty good broad uh, case study, I guess, in how different people learn the content. And so to be able to draw from all of that experience and then put together an online course that hopefully can teach anyone the basics. Oh, wonderful. I'm sure there's lots of people who are going to be signing up for that very soon. Um, so speaking of online, you, I follow you on Instagram <laughs> and you mentioned recently wanting to be a bit more real online in, yeah. over, in the future. Um, do you want to share a bit about that with us? Yeah, I think it is amazing seeing how, how much easier it has become to build a personal brand and become a thought leader and attract an audience of people who are interested in what you're saying. But along with that has come this kind of picture-perfect social media where you spend you know two or three hours setting up the perfect shot and it can kind of give the impression to people that life is so easy and perfect for you when it might be so hard and challenging for them. And so it's really important to me that, especially within the realms of entrepreneurship and women in tech and people learning new skills, it's not an easy ride. (laughs) It's messy and it's complicated and it's hard at times and there's lots of little bouts of failure along the way. So I think it's really important for people to see that whole journey and not just look at this picture perfect, not, not compare themselves to this picture perfect version that doesn't really exist. So I'm trying to commit to being very vulnerable and honest on my social media and sharing the highs and the lows, the successes and the failures, and all the little bumpy steps along the way. No, I don't look forward to seeing the lows. <laughs> I don't look forward to there being lows, but I think that's a really brave thing that you're doing because it's something that I'm certainly aware of and with the people that I follow and also myself, it's a real challenge because as a business owner and entrepreneur and someone who is looking to um, build a community and help people, it's really hard to be honest sometimes about when things are just a bit shit. It is. And I think we have, we have a bit of a glorification of failure within the entrepreneur world. And I think it's great that we're recognizing and embracing that you know, failure and mistakes, it's all a part of it. But if you see how we present it, it often goes a little something like this. Someone has had these struggles. Now they're really successful and they're going to talk about it. So it'll be like, <laughs> I was broke and struggling and my third business had failed, but now I'm a multimillionaire. <laughs> that sounds like all the people who pop up in my Facebook feed, <laughs> with, mm-hmm. like buy my quick course to learn how to get this many subscribers in this many days. <laughs> it's like the typical hero's journey, but very few people talk about it when it's happening. And if you notice with with sports, with any kind of creative endeavor, it's really cool to have had a failure story once you've already succeeded. But very few people talk about their failures at the time and it makes people kind of uncomfortable to go, 
you know, I, my second business just failed. I have no money. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel totally overwhelmed. Then the the common advice is like, why don't you give up and go back to, to your nine to five? So I think it's really important that we see and experience these hurdles as happening right now, not only in the context of people who have already succeeded and done really well and it all being past tense because the journey just doesn't go from failure to success in a linear fashion. It's, I wish you could see my hand motions right now, but (laughs) it's this big tangled mess of highs and lows. And no matter how big you get and how successful you become, there's always going to be moments where you fail or you struggle or you feel overwhelmed. Um, And I think we all need to embrace that a little bit more as being a normal, real part of the journey so that when we're experiencing it, it doesn't feel so paralyzing because when I was fired from my first company, the practical impact was the least of my concern. I was mortified. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I had been, you know, it was this huge failure. Everyone in my life knew I was about to launch this business and I had to now go back to them all and tell them that I wasn't launching because I'd been kicked out. And that happens to people all the time, whether it's, you know, big failures or small failures. I think we would all make it through the journey a bit easier if we were able to recognize those speed bumps along the way as a normal part of the process and experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think often we do have these really curated lives online and there's a bit of us that realizes that, but it is hard when that is, that is all you're seeing. And it's, um, there's a quote that I love about, we always compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlights reel. And I can try and keep that in mind, but I'm so guilty of it myself as well. When you, you know, see people who you aspire to, who have just sold out a course in 24 hours or something like that and you're sitting here going why how yeah absolutely I think we would we could all do to share a little bit more of those behind the scenes what or who inspires and motivates you I mean you're creating these incredible experiences environments for others but how do you nurture and fulfill yourself and continue on yeah, that's a really good question. I I think I learned the hard way about um, treating myself as my own best asset. I let myself get burnt out in my past business and really recognized that when you're an entrepreneur, you're not stamping in and you know getting paid by the hour. You really have to get results. So forcing yourself to sit at a desk for nine hours if you're not accomplishing anything doesn't help you. It doesn't help your business. So for me, it's been really important to pay attention to all the things that make me feel happy and motivated and get in that flow state. I try to do yoga at least a couple of times a week. I try and exercise. Um, I eat reasonably well. (laughs) It's all about balance. Yeah. And I just try, I try to be really mindful if I'm feeling burnt out or exhausted, even if I've got a million things to do, I will close my computer, get on my scooter, scoot down to the beach and watch the sunset or go outside and play with my puppy or, you know, even just take 15 minutes and have a cup of tea and sit on the couch because it's better to get yourself back into a good state of mind than to try and force yourself 
through. So that's been really important for me. In terms of who inspires me, I've actually been really inspired by my family. My my nan is like this unconventional entrepreneur. I don't think she probably wouldn't be called an entrepreneur by most people, but she and my pop have been building businesses since they were, you know, 18 years old. They built multiple companies. I still don't think they've properly retired and they're in their seventies. And I sat down one day and just spoke to her about, about the journey and the experience and seeing how, how many times she failed and got back up and pushed through even when everything was hard and it seemed like there was no hope. It was really inspiring to believe in myself when I was having those same challenges. That's so wonderful to have that. I think so much about the environment that we've had throughout our entire life, even though you have a lot more control once you become an adult. There's so much that moulding does does go into earlier on. I know that you, um, and you, you and your family travelled a lot when you were young as well, so I can kind of see yeah. how maybe that's led into your yeah, life and travel now. Yeah, and I think now. one of the most important things growing up was that I was always instilled with this, they call it now a growth mindset, but at the time it was that whenever I would struggle with something or approach a challenge or not know how to do something or not be good at something, the way my parents approached it was that I wasn't good at it yet or I didn't know how to do it yet. And I don't think it occurred to me for such a long time that I wouldn't be able to accomplish it if I just put my mind to it and put enough effort in. And I think that's very helpful as an entrepreneur because you don't know what you're doing. Yes, (laughs) You're fumbling through the dark most of the time. And if you approach each challenge of, Oh, I don't know how to do email marketing. Oh, I don't have a list of subscribers. Oh, I don't know how to run a business in Bali. If you approached every challenge without believing that you could overcome it, then you probably wouldn't move very far. I love how now as well we actually have these phrases for approaches and ways that a lot of us were actually brought up with. Absolutely. I never, yeah, I watched a TED talk about growth mindset and I was like, ah, that's what mom always did. (laughs) She would correct me if I was like, I'm just not good at this. She'd go, no, you're just not good at it yet. Yeah. I think that, that emphasis on the importance of practicing Mm -hmm. and, um, the, the trying and the journey, it's not always about the destination and I can certainly, relate that back to my experience um at the boot camp that I attended in Bali as well it was we had so many struggles during that time so kind mm. of tying together a couple of things you said there with um it was certainly yeah there was no way we could have built a website on day one <laughs> <laughs> well I think we built a very very simple one that maybe just scrolled up and down slightly um, and then where we came at the end was was incredible but there were so many challenges along the way and and having that environment where one of the big things that trying to take back into daily life is that taking breaks. Yeah. Um, so I'm very guilty of continuing to push through at something when I'm struggling, but you know, taking a 15 minute pool break or going for a walk or something like that. It's incredible how much energy you can actually come back with. And often the solution will just pop into your head while you're doing something else because you're distracting your mind. And I think it's a big takeaway for people too. just, who maybe haven't had as much of that growth mindset growing up or those um, experiences, our whole education system is kind of set up with the opposite of the growth mindset in that 
when you're in primary school or high school, you work really hard, you study, you do a test, and then you succeed or you fail. And if you fail, you've failed. That's the end. And we move forward. <laughs> you were a D student or you were a C student. You got somewhere between maybe 30% and 100% on your test. And then you move on and you leave it. And that gets people in this mindset of like, I'm bad at maths or I'm this kind of student. Whereas if we approached it the way some amazing programs like Khan Academy, for, which is an online program for maths, is approaching it in the idea of the growth mindset, instead of saying to someone, you failed, you've got an F, you've got a D, we say to them, you're not quite there yet, we'll give you some more challenges. You're not quite there yet, let me explain it to you in a different way. So none of our students at Institute of Code fail. We've never had someone fail. We just sometimes have to reapproach the lesson in a different way. We sometimes have to sit and help them after class. They sometimes have to put in a bit more effort or approach a situation slightly differently, but there's no need for anyone to fail. They just need to reapproach the learning situation until they can get it. I think that's probably one of my biggest frustrations with traditional education is that from high school and up, most teachers grade to a curve. They expect that 30% of their students will fail or barely pass 20 or 30% of their students will breeze through but bend the class board and they really then just teach to the middle. And what a sad form of education that we spend, you know, a decade of our life in school that's expecting a third of us to fail. So what have you learned during your journey? We're talking about learning. So Good question. What have I learned? So, so, so far. <laughs> I think I have, I've definitely learned more in the past three years of building a business than in probably my entire high school and university education because almost nothing that I'm doing was taught to me in a traditional sense. I taught myself how to code. I taught myself and learned from, you know, other people how to do marketing and I've just kind of approached this business with what do I want to do and what does it require to succeed in that? So when I first started out, it was, okay, I want to create the perfect learning environment. I drew from my own sources, but I also went, who do I need to learn from? <laughs> what what constitutes an amazing environment? What gets people in the flow state? I have to go out and learn that. Then it was, okay, I want to run a retreat in Bali. I don't know how to run a retreat. Let me go out and learn that. And I think one of the things that surprises people is that when you first start out, being an entrepreneur feels like, and this is not my quote, but it's one of my favorites, it feels like jumping off a cliff and assembling your parachute on the way down. And it's so true because you just don't know what you're doing and you're fumbling through the dark hoping that it all works. Uh, but that feeling, at least thus far in my journey, it doesn't go away. I think you just get more comfortable jumping off the cliff. And Be- higher and higher. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You just, uh, you're, you're always trying new things and you're approaching new problems and, you know, having new challenges and you never really know exactly what you're doing. You learn each time, but at least for me, every time something gets easy I find a new challenge and I launch a new program and expand to a new market and there's just 
there's no end in sight that I've found so far in the learning opportunities. And I think that's definitely the way. If we were, if you were to sit and try and do everything perfectly without having one student, <laughs> it would be a very different experience, I think, to learning as you go and continually raising the bar, moving the goalposts, all of those analogies that we use. It's absolutely constant And I think having that that artificial pressure sometimes of needing to launch quickly. When we started IOC, the day that we came up with the idea, which was funnily enough, the same day that I was kicked out of my business before, I decided that I wanted to launch in 30 days. And launching a business that you knew very little about in 30 days was probably in hindsight overly ambitious. But all of these tasks that could have drawn out for months if I didn't have a deadline, I just had to get them done. I couldn't spend, you know, three months building the website. Everything had to be done is better than perfect and just get it launched. And I think that has been really helpful in my journey and moving quickly is just to set sometimes artificial um, deadlines for myself and focus on incremental improvement rather than getting it perfect the first time. I spent maybe... 15 minutes the first time I built a Facebook ad because I just built it and got it out there and I put maybe a $5 budget on it (laughs) so that I could learn from it and then continuously just trying to test things, do small tests, learn from them, and then just keep adjusting course rather than stopping the boat, waiting for the perfect direction and then going. I think you're so right that setting, setting the deadlines, I mean, I'm sure there's some study or quote, but um, I know just from conversation, a lot of people agree that if you're given, you know, two months to do an assignment, most people will do the bulk of the assignment in a couple of days beforehand. (laughs) And if it's a work project, it's the same type of thing. Like the longer we give ourselves to do something, the longer we often stretch it out and do it and find other things to fill in the time, which is not incredibly productive. (laughs) Absolutely. And I I do think there's a balancing act there of knowing what would the, what would the risk be if I didn't accomplish this? Or what would the, what would I be risking if I failed at this? And I've tried to make sure that the risks are mostly on my side, not on anyone else's. So I've made a million mistakes in running this business, but I've consistently created an amazing environment for the students and consistently helped them achieve their learning outcomes. So I do think it's worth, uh, it's a balancing act between launching before you're ready and making sure that you can deliver the value you've promised someone or you're willing to make it up if you don't. So if you are building an online course, for example, there you can be paralyzed going, I want to wait until it's perfect and it's done and it's ready and I don't want to let anyone down. And it's important to have integrity and to make sure you're delivering value to people. But what would maybe be better is to say, I'm going to launch this quickly. I'm going to do the best job I can in that time frame. And if I stuff up, if I can't meet the goals that I wanted to, I'm going to make that up to everyone. I'm going to mm. give them the one-on-one support after. I'm going to record the extra modules and push it out to them. Um, I'm going to keep improving so that I over-deliver on my promise, but I'm still going to launch quickly. Yeah, when you're here for the long term, it's having having that backup plan, but knowing you've got 
this future ahead of you as well to continually grow and improve and, and build as well. If you could recommend one skill or area that you can encourage to others to help them be prepared to do their best online? I think one of the most important things about succeeding online in terms of attracting an audience and communicating with them and um, kind of building an online brand is really understanding what your audience needs and what their struggles are and being able to share content of value. Everything else is additional. Everything else is kind of the sugar on top. Sure, you need to know how to beat the Instagram algorithm and how to maximize SEO. But at the end of the day, if you are delivering content that your audience loves, that's going to make a world of difference. One of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is because I have learned so much over the years from just talking to people and asking stupid questions, (laughs) which can be really hard to get over sometimes. But... I will do it with you as well. Um, I know the lifestyle that you created now is, is often associated with this concept of being a digital nomad. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you consider yourself a digital nomad and could you explain what that is? Yeah. So I would say a digital nomad is anyone who is location independent because they're using their skills to work online. Maybe they've got an online business. Maybe they're freelancing online. Um, Some people teach English. Some people are a virtual assistant. Some people um, have a a blog. I, yeah, I guess I would consider myself a digital nomad. I've been in Bali for the past three years, but I could kind of take what I do anywhere. Aside from being on the retreats, which are 10 days at a time, you know, around 10 times a year, I could work from anywhere. So aside from having adopted a puppy here, (laughs) um, I can and I have just said to Emil, hey, why don't we fly to Vietnam and spend two weeks there and we'll take our laptops, we can work from any cafe or co-working space or hotel room. And I think Digital nomad is this idea that we can build a life anywhere, location independent, and kind of move to the places that really best facilitate the lifestyle that we want to live. Um, And what's next for you? Oh, good question. I just published a blog post yesterday, actually, about how and why I'm going to be building my personal brand. It's something I've kind of put off up until now, but after teaching influencer marketing and social media for the past um, eight months, that's our second course that we teach, it's just become so painfully obvious to me the value that you can have from building a personal brand and becoming a thought leader and really just sharing um, the knowledge that you've learnt with the world. So I, I love getting to teach in person but I sometimes wish that I could reach a bigger audience and share some of the the lessons that I've learned over three years of mistakes. Um, so that's what that's one of the things that's next. While we grow IOC, I'll also be kind of building my own personal brand by sharing some of the lessons of entrepreneurship I've learned. Wonderful. So where can people? Where are the best places for people to find out more about 
IOC, Institute of Code, in your courses, and follow and find out more about you as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Institute of Code is just instituteofcode.com, and we've got the same handle on all of our social media platforms. And for me at the moment, Instagram's the best platform. My handle is Hello Tina May. Very creative. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Lots of beautiful photos there as well. And from what you've said, a lot more real life behind the scenes. <laughs> the, blo- the bloopers <laughs> real of <laughs> entrepreneurship. <laughs> Hashtag blooper. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been really Pleasure. wonderful to be able to catch up again, um, but also to be able to hear more about your story and what you are bringing and have, have, have brought to IOC so far. So thanks so much, Tina. Amazing. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Dobcast. I hope you feel inspired and prepared to do your best online. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could find the time to leave us a review. Your feedback helps us improve and also helps others find us. So consider it your good deed for the day.